Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talked to Adam Sud for part two. Adam's life in 2012 was completely out of control. Once weighing nearly 350 pounds and struggling with multiple addictions, serious chronic diseases, and mental health disorders, his life nearly came to an end when he attempted suicide by drug overdose. He checked into rehab, and with the help of his parents and a plant-based diet, he began a journey that led to a remarkable recovery. Reversing all of his chronic diseases, getting off meds, including psych meds, within one year and losing 180 pounds. Don't forget to listen to part one, episode 69 first. Here we go. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? By now, you all know that therapy is an important part of my own self-care. It has truly been a game changer in every aspect of my life, including achieving goals. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy platform worldwide. They are changing the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to a licensed therapist. BetterHelp makes professional therapy available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. You can start communicating within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And I have a special offer for Consciously Clueless listeners. Visit BetterHelp.com Carly and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. By using this code, you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash C-A-R-L-Y. Take care of yourself today. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you for joining me again. I'm really excited to be doing part two. Yeah, me too. I know yeah, that there's be great. yeah, there's a lot to a lot to talk about. I was uh, listening to some of our first interview um, today and was like, oh yeah, I want to know more about that. Oh yeah, I wanted to know more about that. So I'm really excited. Fantastic. Um, to dive back in. But first, just like last time, I want to check in and see where you're at on the scale from clueless to conscious today, right <laughs> in this moment. Uh, I would say I'm currently in the middle. Like, uh, I just, my fiance and I just moved from Portland to Austin. We've been in Austin now for like 13 days. And we just found out that our stuff, our stuff hasn't even left Portland yet. Oh no. And so we're like so displaced and ungrounded. And so we have, I'm trying to figure out with the movers why our stuff hasn't left. And so it's this whole thing. And so everything is a minute to minute deal. And so mm-hmm. I am not fully present all the time the last few days. Yeah, that sounds, when you said ungrounding, I like felt it in my body. That just, that restless feeling is sometimes oh, yeah. so hard to combat very very hard and it's you know there's there's such a a a sense of being like not not lost but you know uh unsettled because my the routine is is disrupted and then everything that that's you know i would get up and i would you know go downstairs make coffee and would have all our things and now we're kind of in different going back and forth between different locations because we can't work at our place but we want to so yeah 
Well, I'm so. sorry you're dealing with that, but I am appreciative that you made this interview work despite all oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Me too. This is going to be great. Um, so, like I said, I have a bunch of questions to follow up on from the first interview, but I wanted to hear yeah. first, like, what have you been working on? What's been going on in your world before I riddle yeah. you with questions? Yeah, you know, still the the, the focus is still, we, we submitted for, uh, we're, we're publishing four manuscripts on the study this year, the wow. study that we talked about in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And so the focus you want to remind is, listeners real quick yeah. what that study was? So first of all, go back and listen to the other episode. Yes, agreed. Uh, this, the study that we're talking about is uh, the very first controlled trial to investigate the effects of nutrition on early addiction recovery outcomes. Um, the, 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 the nutrition that we decided to investigate was how does a plant-based diet uh, impact recovery in the early stages? So when individuals are in the treatment center setting, there's never been any um, dietary study of any kind ever done. So nutrition has never uh, truly been investigated in a controlled trial setting. Yeah, uh, Certainly not in the way that we did it, which was um, really controlling for variables as uh, other variables as much as possible and, and focusing specifically on how does the diet affect not just your biometrics and so not just your cholesterol and all that, uh, uh, but also your microbiome, as well as your emotional and psychological outcomes. Mm-hmm. Everything from you know, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive, uh, um, drug use, um, to mania, eating disorder, and then things like resilience and self-esteem and self-compassion, uh, which in my opinion are some of the most important factors to focus on in recovery is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, individuals in, uh, who enter treatment end stage substance use disorder, uh, typically have very low self-esteem very low right. self-compassion and right. very low resilience, uh, which you would you know, consider things like emotional regulation and distress tolerance, right. the ability to be confronted with something difficult and then draw upon tools that allow you to deal with it in a positive, progressive, um, uh, productive fashion, rather than the avoidant escapism of substance abuse. Right. And um, yeah, we're, we, uh, we have some really, phenomenal things that we're publishing. First of all, it's the first study ever to show that a plant-based diet does not have any negative impact on recovery. This was the idea. The idea was, oh, you have to eat things like fish for omega-3s. You, a, a, a recovery diet should include, you can't, you can't tell people in recovery to restrict food. Mm. That's a dangerous thing to say, uh, was, is, is part of the, the narrative that a plant-based diet, a plant-based diet is not going to be beneficial. This is the idea that it, uh, in fact, there's very few treatment centers that even offer plant-based options without you saying, hey, I was already vegan before I came in. Mm. If you weren't vegan and you went into a treatment center, then in the majority of cases, you, and you said, hey, you know, I've heard about this plant-based diet. I'm not well. I'm not healthy. I'm also dealing with substance abuse. I'd really like to try a plant-based diet. The majority of situations, they wouldn't allow that to take place. And based now, on what research or what none thought? that's the whole point none <laughs> so uh now now we have shown that not only is there no adverse effects of eating a plant-based diet there's actually some benefits to eating a right. plant-based diet in recovery right. so we're, Who we're really excited. <laughs> yeah you know that's the thing like you know people in the plant-based world uh 
people who are, are plant-based researchers, medical researchers. Um, we, you know, we, we, from what we know to be true about the majority of evidence that exists and what it suggests is that plant-based diet is an incredibly beneficial tool mm -hmm. to use to heal the body. And so we could make the assumption based on that, hey, there's a reason these people shouldn't be fed a plant-based diet. Here's right. the thing. Here's why I think uh, it's been an issue. Number one, there is no data to convince treatment centers. Don't worry. You're not going to be uh, dealing with some kind of liability malnutrition issue. Right. Number two, most of these people, most of these um, treatment centers probably don't have individuals who are educated on plant-based nutrition in order to say, I feel confident here that we could put together some kind of dietary protocol to serve them plant-based right. foods in a healthy fashion that doesn't leave them calorie deficient. Cause that's really what's going to happen is the biggest risk is, is individuals being eating too low a calorie dense diet where they feed them nothing but greens and then they, they eat a thousand calories a day and that's going to be a problem. Right. Yeah. So, well, so now that I have a new set of questions, so buckle up. Uh, yeah. But before I go into that, I want to follow up on a few things from the end of the last episode, actually, because we started getting into stuff and then it was like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that you started to talk about was the gut and the microbiome and mental health. And we kind of scraped the surface in that, but I would love to expand upon that a little more because we hear that like trust your gut and the second brain and all that, but you yeah. started to explain a little bit more what that means. Could you elaborate sure. on that in terms of, I think it's really especially fascinating with mental health and things like resiliency and that. Yeah. So there's some really interesting stuff when it comes to gut health and your mental health. Now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what tends to happen is anytime some new avenue of science becomes popular, all these incredibly wild statements get miscommunicated through the blogosphere of Instagram and the, like I like to call it the social media wellness collective, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, where people will hear something and then simply because they've heard it, they now think that they, they possess the expertise to talk about it. And so they start to regurgitate things that they've heard, not understanding the context behind the content. Right. Okay. So what most people will hear, and you've probably heard this yourself, everyone probably has from some influencer who has trying to market something about their expertise around gut health, and I'm certainly not a gut health expert, is that 90% of your serotonin and 50% of your dopamine is produced in the gut. Yeah, people love so those facts. People love those facts. They really okay? love those That's ones. An amazing piece of content. Yes. To share. Here's the context behind it. <laughs> those neurotransmitters do not cross the blood brain barrier they don't go to your brain okay that's important because uh -huh. what the statement 90 percent of your serotonin and 50 percent of your dopamine being produced in your gut leads people to believe is that your brain serotonin and the dopamine in your brain uh is produced in your gut no 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 what does happen is that the health of your gut and the specific population of bacteria and microbes in your gut play a huge role mm -hmm. in producing uh, nutrients that do cross the blood-brain barrier that are then responsible for the formation of the dopamine and serotonin and other neurotransmitters that your brain does produce. That's important. And yes. that's aside from 
the dopamine and serotonin that does exist in your gut. Now it's interesting that we have so serotonin and dopamine in our gut. There is a communication that is happening between your gut and your brain. Yes. And you know, what we now know is, is that we, we know, we know a lot and we know enough to know that we don't know, know nearly enough about <laughs> our gut health. It's like consciously uh, when, <laughs> when it comes, when it comes to, to the way that it influences everything. Um, we used to believe that there was a, that there was a, a hundred trillion microbes in your gut. Mm-hmm. There's 10, a uh, hundred trillion cells in your gut microbiome and 10 trillion human cells. So they used to say that you were less than 10% human so between 100 and 300. It's not that big of a variance. Okay. It's more like 30,000. Okay. Uh, um, uh, it's not as big of a variance as we once thought it was, but it's still impressive that there are right. more cells in your gut microbiome than there are human cells. So that means of all the cells that are making up you right now, the majority of them are not your human DNA cells, which is really fascinating. Also, while the so diversity- one of those statements that makes you like think for a second, like, wait, yeah. what? What's happening? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I heard someone put it uh, this way: it, if that's the if that's true, and it is, it's a fact that the majority of cells in your body are not your human cells. Are we then just bacteria having a human experience? i kind of like that i don't know that feels Uh, right and things (laughs) like uh, if you don't like bacteria you're on the wrong planet Uh, and it's it is it is important because here's how here's how involved the microbiome is in not just your own microbiome but your microbiome comes in contact with the microbiome of the entire world because everything that is alive on this planet either has a microbiome or is one So it's really important to understand that your microbiome is a huge influential factor in your own health and the microbiome of the world around you is a huge factor in your own health. And there's statements about, oh, you have to understand the population diversity of your gut microbiome and that plays a big role. That's true, but from what we also know is that the gut microbes that are influencing your health are the ones that are up against the wall of your gut. Okay. The ones not actually uh, up against the wall of your gut don't have as much influence as the others. So there's a lot we don't know. But we do know that it does play a huge role in the, the health of your body, the health of your brain, the health of your psychology. Um, it, it isn't going to be a cure-all like a mm-hmm. lot of things, you know, like we know in Wellness Collective, as I call it, the things get, oh, this is going to cure everything. It's like when it's like when uh, cold plunges became popular. Cold plunges is a cure all for everything. No, it's not. It's it's a profoundly powerful tool, uh-huh. but it's not going to cure cure everything. Celery juice. No, don't oh give my me gosh. On, don't get me started on celery juice. But yeah, super. Um, any so, of the like the superfoods that are popular for like five minutes. <laughs> you know what? I liked um, Dan Butner, who is the author of the Blue Zones. Oh and, yeah, uh, the, he's the Nat Geo explorer who discovered the blue zones wrote the book about the blues have been studying them for over 30 years he says there are no superfoods there's no one superfood and i i i hate the term he goes superfoods are the variety of plants that you eat on a daily basis yes That's it. and it doesn't matter what they are right we know that beans are associated with a four to six year if you eat one to two cups of beans a day, that's associated with four to six 
extra years of life, uh, which is phenomenal. A uh, handful of nuts a day associated with an additional two to four years of life. This is phenomenal. Wow. Uh, so incorporating things like uh, sourdough bread, uh, beans, nuts, um, sweet potatoes, tubers, starches, these things are going to be mm -hmm. in as a whole superfoods. Uh, because what we don't have is superfoods. What we have is superior dietary patterns. Mm. So it's the quality of an individual's dietary pattern over the course of time that is going to influence metabolic outcome. So I don't care how pure your ceremonial cacao is <laughs> or ceremonial matcha or whatever it is. It, that's not doing it, okay? It's everything else you're doing with it as well, uh, equally as important. Okay. Yes, a hundred percent agree. <laughs> Maybe seriously, like yeah. I'm, I can think of accounts in my head yeah, where I'm exactly. like, rut row. <laughs> yep. I don't know. They can come after me all they want. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. So that led us into talking about how in this study, at the time that we talked last, plant-based that control group was outperforming. Yeah. the other groups in that study, which was starting to show that what you eat can influence recovery. Yeah. So what we've what we now know now that the study is done um, is that as it, we, when we look at the first three weeks, which actually takes place in the rehab hospital, you mm -hmm. really see no change. You really see no okay. difference. And here's why. Number one, we had a very young population of people. They're in the twenties. Mm. Okay. So you didn't see a lot of obesity. You didn't see, cause typically you'd see weight loss accompanying, and we didn't see much change in weight. You had people that were very undernourished and right. underfed. So everybody was now put on a actually quite healthy diet, whether you were on the plant-based group or the control group. Okay. Uh, the control group ate a, a significant amount of fiber, uh, for a diet that included meat, eggs, and dairy. And so anytime you take someone from a situation where they never prioritize health or hygiene whatsoever and put them in a situation of routinely um, uh, incorporating behaviors that benefit your health, you're going to see positives on both ends. Right. So we didn't see uh, much of a change. But when you get to week 10, as dietary quality was increasing, you saw increases in self-compassion, self-esteem, mm. and, and resilience, which was our primary outcome. Wow. The other thing was at week four, uh, uh, you'd see people go into sober living. They go into the sober living setting. So we follow okay. people out of rehab into the sober living setting. And then for the next seven weeks, we follow them there. Individuals in the control group, they were eating the standard diet, which was more of like a healthy paleo style diet. Okay. You saw those individuals start to revert back to their old dietary patterns, a lot more processed food, a lot more refined products, a lot more, you know, junk food. And those were choices the they were making. At 100%. Okay. Because in the sober living facility, you determine what foods you're going to eat, you make it yourself, you do all that. Got it. The people in the control group, uh, sorry, in the treatment group, the plant-based group, they stuck with their diet. So much so that there's a 500% difference in fiber intake between the two groups, which oh. is really something fantastic because it speaks to the, if, if what we're, if what we're offering them allows the, them to continue feeding themselves in a healthy way, what other things are they also holding on to that resilience? Right. And what I find really interesting is the self-esteem aspect. Yeah. 
because I, I look back at my, uh, my journey and I, I, I came into treatment in very, very sort of broken individual in the sense that I had very little, if any, self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I had zero resilience whatsoever. I mean, my distress tolerance was nothing. It was either I was okay or I was in fight or flight. Right. There was no, there was no range between the two. Um, and over the course of time of doing this diet, like I noticed this profound shift in my esteem. I noticed this profound shift in my ability to tolerate things. Now, this is, this is paired with therapies. I want people to understand that. This is paired with therapy. And every single individual in our group was also doing the diet in combination with therapy and movement and other things. Right. But I think it's interesting because what we're, what I think it comes back to is the difference between what we, we should call passive recovery okay. and active recovery. So I, I'd like to define passive recovery as simply not using. Okay. okay. So what they've done is they've, they've moved into a rehab facility that allowed them to safely detox this individual off of whatever substance they were, they were using, right. Get them to understand, Hey, look, there's some issues we have to do or we have to, to work on here and then hopefully move them into the next stage, which is sober living and IOP intensive outpatient therapy programming where the, in that, in that situation, you really get into the therapy, you get into the, you know, the inner work, all of that. Right. But what we, what these people do is they do that and then they just they just don't use. They don't really change anything else. They've just they're going to do the therapy and then they don't use. Okay, and that's what I would call passive recovery. Okay, and we have to think of your esteem, like your own self esteem. Everybody's self esteem is a mechanism that responds to you and what you're doing as if it were the world watching you do things. Okay, <laughs> so simply not using when you think about the rest of the world there's a great uh, psycho, uh evolutionary psychologist named doug lyle who talks about something called the ego trap he also wrote the book the pleasure trap and it's phenomenal um, and he talks about the esteem mechanism this way he says the esteem mechanism is an internal audience mm. it responds to you as if it were the world watching you live your life okay and wow. so if you, if you're not if you're just not using the rest of the world would look at you and say, well, good for you. I don't use ever. That's what it looks like. This isn't worthy of praise. I'm not going to give you applause. You don't deserve any esteem for this. Good for you. You finally caught up with the rest of us. That's wow. what it seems like. That's what it might feel like. Now, here's the interesting thing. You pair that not using and replace it to instead of using, I'm going to adopt a plant-based diet and start moving my body. Now, even if you weren't getting sober, adopting a plant-based diet and exercising would be worthy of praise. The world would look at you and go, bravo, man, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's quite a sacrifice you appear to be making for the betterment of your long-term health. Way to go. This is raising your internal esteem. Yeah. Now, if the rest of the world were aware that you were also getting sober while doing those things, all of a sudden getting sober while doing it is something worth being praised for. You're doing that while not using? Oh my goodness, bravo. I, I have trouble doing that and I'm not even trying to give up drugs. Already now, giving yeah. up drugs is not just some passive thing that isn't worthy of praise. It's become something worthy of praise and your internal audience applauds you for it every single day. 
And then after a certain period of time, people are going to start to notice something take place in you. They might notice you losing weight. They might notice you going off medications. They might notice you you moving better or, or looking better or feeling better. And they're going to comment. They're going to say to you, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You look phenomenal or you, I, I noticed you getting out and you're running every single day. That's phenomenal. How are you doing this? That simple question, how are you doing this? Is a statement to your esteem mechanism that says you seem to have figured something out that other people haven't figured out yet. You now have value that you could share with the community of shared respect that you find yourself in that they haven't been able to discover yet anywhere else. This raises your esteem. This gives you a sense of value that you have that can be shared with other people within a community of shared respect. That's connection. That's being a part of something and being valued amongst a group of people. And there's also an evolutionary aspect to it, which says, People see something valuable in me, which means if there's danger around, I'm worth keeping alive. They'll fight for me because if I stay alive, I possess knowledge and value that could keep other people alive longer. Believe me, we all still, we know consciously, we're not consciously aware of that, but absolutely our, our, everything about our genes is, is taking cues from either individuals or the environment and how we're doing to say, Hey, we are now ranking higher amongst the value order of a group of people. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And so, you know, it's like I said, now, please, I don't want anybody who's listening to this to think that when I say, if you just stop using, you're not worthy of praise. You are absolutely worthy of praise. What I was talking about there is the ego trap of the stigma the rest of the world puts on people. Right. It says, to just not use gets you to zero. It's not worthy of praise. That's a stigma that people in addiction are fighting against. Yes. But what we can do for ourselves is instead of saying, I'm just not going to use, we can say, instead of using, I am going to eat a plant-based diet. And I'm going to focus my attention on building my life and structuring my life around when and how and what I eat instead of when and how and what I use. And this could build a foundation of esteem for myself, a self-efficacy of what I could offer myself in my future statistical likelihood of survival and value amongst a group, group of people. This is phenomenal stuff. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry, empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, this vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase. Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's C-A-R-L-Y-5-0 for 50% off your first purchase at terraseed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. This podcast is supported by She Thinks. Thinks are washable, reusable period underwear. They look and feel just like normal underwear, but better. Every pair of Thinks is made with their signature innovative technology for the ultimate period protection. Their breathable products are safely made with cotton, nylon, and elastin for a little stretch. 
I am seriously obsessed with my Thinx underwear. They have changed my periods. Try them yourself or get someone the best gift ever with a sweet little discount code. Go to shethinks.com slash Carly for $10 off your order today. Again, that's shethinks.com forward slash C-A-R-L-Y for $10 off your order. Try Thinks today. Well, and that's when you just said that I'm going to focus on something else. I was thinking that there, I'm guessing maybe I'm, maybe I'm making an assumption that there's also something to be said about diverting that attention to something else, to something that's bettering you, or I don't know, but that feels yeah, like no, a useful absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, is really important, I think for me was the idea that you can't not do something. Right. Or, you know, you can either, you can do something instead but you can't not do something. So the idea of not using doesn't make sense to our psychology. Right. We have, we, <clears throat> we have a psychology of more. Mm. That's really important to understand that humans as a species are alive today because we have an unbelievably powerful psychology of more. What does that Meaning mean? That, what that means is if you and I were to travel back 10, 20, 30,000 years from now, and we were existing within a tribe, and we were living in an environment of scarcity. That's what it would be, where calories were not guaranteed. They were something we had to, they were expensive in the terms of biology. Right. Meaning that we had to pay a lot of energy in order to find them. We had to put ourselves in harm's way to find them. And then we had to, we had to, uh, uh, we had to compete against other people that were looking for the same calories and other animals that might eat the same calories that we eat. So food was scarce, competitive, and dangerous, right? right? And if we didn't have a part of our psychology that allowed us to identify what calories give us the most energy for the least effort, we don't win. And so we have an internal guidance system that directs us to that decision and figuring it out, and it's called dopamine. And dopamine is another buzzword that gets thrown around. <laughs> Like, oh, you shouldn't do anything that tri triggers dopamine. Well, no, you absolutely should. It's a guidance system. Right. There's some issues that have come up in the modern environment. But what dopamine is, is it's a very unique pleasure chemical. So there's other neurotransmitters that we produce that give us the excited euphoria of pleasure. But dopamine is unique because it's a reward pleasure chemical, mm. meaning that it's giving us a sense of biological success for our future. What I mean is when we, when our body releases dopamine, the amount of dopamine that's released is a signal that lets us know that what we've done has to some varying degree, either low or high, statistically rewarded our, our likelihood of long-term success, wow. right? So if we were, if you and I were like out walking, trying to gather food and we came across a, 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 a blackberry bush and sweet potatoes, sweet potato tubers in the ground, and we didn't have some kind of mechanism that let us know, hey, that's the better choice. The sweet potatoes have more calories per bite. We can feed more people for a better statistical likelihood of survival if we pick the sweet potatoes. We wouldn't pick it every time. We wouldn't make that decision. We wouldn't know that the sweet potatoes have 400% more calories per bite than the, rat, than the blackberries do. That's, wow. that, that mechanism is dopamine because when we bite into the blackberries, we would probably try them first because they're easier to get to. Yep. We would go, yeah, these are pretty good. Like, I like these. What are those? And we pick it out and we, we bite into it and we go, 
holy shit that's phenomenal those are good but that's phenomenal oh my goodness we are taking those yeah let's go oh my gosh we would gather there would be no looking back at the blackberries if they were nuts same thing like let's say it was nuts we had to climb the tree it's more effort obviously we're going to pick the the most yeah. convenient option but then i was like you know what whatever this one's on the ground i'm going to try it bite into it oh my god no 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 don't touch those we're going to get these we yeah. had this desire this compulsion to continue this and that's how we survived environments of scarcity. We had a, a mechanism in our body that wouldn't allow us to make the wrong choice. Wow. And so that mechanism is still at play because let's move forward again, 20,000 years, another 10,000 years. So we're almost modern day, but let's say we're a hundred years ago. Okay. Something is about to happen. Something is about to happen that has never happened in the course of human history before. All of a sudden over the course of the next 100 years, every single decade, the calories per bite are going to get greater. Every single decade, we're going to have the opportunity to buy, find food that has more calories per bite than has ever existed in human history. And every decade up until now, it's going to be easier and more convenient to get those calories than it has ever been. And our guidance system, dopamine, has no idea that this is a problem. It has no understanding that this is artificially happening. It's not occurring in nature. And so our dopamine system is responding to the modern environment as if it were an environment of scarcity. And this is why you see the situation that we have today. This is why people go, I don't know why. I just like whenever I drive by McDonald's, I just can't stop. I can't stop myself from going because your body understands you can get a thousand calories without even getting out of your car. That, that kind of convenience has never existed before wow. ever. And it feels unbelievably right. Also, same situation with drugs and alcohol. You get this flooded euphoria. You get this unbelievable, like let's talk about cocaine because cocaine targets the dopamine receptors of the brain. Right. It's literally every time you do cocaine, you get this massive flooding of dopamine that's hijacking your motivational system into believing, holy shit, this is the best thing we've ever done for our survival. This is incredibly biologically beneficial if ever you have the opportunity to do it, you should do it. What a phenomenal decision. What a phenomenal thing you've just figured out for yourself. And when we talk about addiction recovery, what they do is they play on the idea that the problem is the substance, right. that it's the substance that's the problem. And they'll say, oh, you're addicted to cocaine. Your problem is cocaine. Just stop using cocaine. And they think that that's because there's a biological dependency that occurs, right? You mm -hmm. go through go into withdrawals there's the oh i can't stop using it so that's why it's a problem but really what you should ask this individual is why did it make sense that you couldn't say no to it hmm. why did it make sense that for you cocaine was so unbelievably attractive because it's not the only place you can get dopamine from but why was this so attractive? And if you were probably to look at this person and ask them to describe their life, like you can take me, describe my life when I first discovered stimulants, uh, yeah. amphetamines, that was my thing. I would say, well, I'll tell you, I was incredibly disconnected as a human. Uh, I, I, had, I had no uh, self-esteem whatsoever. Um, I wasn't working. Um, I was disconnected from my family. And I was incredibly depressed for those reasons. Uh, I was overweight. I had, you know, I had this belief that I had to get thin and I couldn't get thin. 
And if you were to, the minute I tried amphetamines, it delivered an opportunity of seemingly solving that problem with unbelievable ease and unbelievable repeatability. Okay, that's incredibly attractive to someone who's dealing with some kind of internal pain and disconnection that they can't figure out how it got there and they don't know how to solve. And they don't know that it's okay to tell somebody, right? Right. And so what we should be saying is, why does it make sense? Why does it make sense that that cocaine or stimulants or 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 you know opiates are are so attractive to this individual? What? Why are you in so much pain, and why does that pain make sense? Because I'll, I'll tell you, if you if you were to you know go ten years back when I was in the worst of of my addiction, and you know uh, you came to me and, and you were hanging out one night, we were having a drink, and you said, "Hey, just so you know, you probably don't know this, but I put." Uh, I put amphetamines in your drink. I put heroin in your drink. And I go, oh, really? And uh, I had this unbelievable euphoric experience of all the pain in my life being relieved mm -hmm. immediately. All the sense of, of that I'm lost, that I'm a failure, just being taken away. And after the heroin wore off, you came up to me and you said, hey, how did that feel? I would say to you, it felt incredibly successful. Mm. And then you said to me, would you like more? I can get you as much as you want. In the current state of disconnection that I was living in, it would be nearly impossible for me to say no because I wow. haven't been able to find another solution to it. I'm too ashamed to ask anyone else for any other options. And the other options require a boatload more of work on the yeah. gamble, on the gamble that it will work. This I know works, right? Well, now I want you to come back to present day to me, having been gone through recovery, doing a lot of inner work, um, healing my relationships with myself, my other people, and my physical self. And we were having, you know, we were out at a, a at a restaurant, and we were both, you know, having tea. And you go, hey, just so you know, I slipped heroin into your tea. Guess what would happen? The same exact exact euphoric experience that I that I that I had ten years ago would happen. Same thing. I had the same. Uh, pleasure response, it would feel amazing. Any sense of anxiety that I may have had or any sense of, of worry would be relieved. Yep. And as soon as it was over, you would come up to me and say, hey, how did that feel? And I would probably tell you, it felt incredible. And then you would say, hey, you know, if you want more, I can get you as much as you want. Do you want it? My response now would be, no, thank you. And the reason why isn't because I spent just because I spent enough time away from drugs and alcohol, but because those meaningful and loving bonds in my life have been reconnected. And I know that if I keep using, I won't be able to show up for them. Wow. I won't be able to show up for myself, both physically and emotionally, every single day and be present with it. I won't be present with the people in my life that I want to show up for and be present with every single day. I won't be able to be with a loving and meaningful bond of my purpose that I want to share within a community of shared respect and be present for every single day. Drugs remove that opportunity for me if I can habitually use. Right. This is so important to understand. Yes, while you can't get to this point while using every single day, it isn't simply abstinence that creates recovery. Mm. And a lot of it is the things that we choose to do while abstaining from drugs. Right. Not simply abstaining from drugs. Right. And so now we're now the whole study was investigating what role does food play while abstaining from drugs? And so you have all this amazing data 
and yeah. you're in the works of publishing things and everything but from you know i don't know what you can or cannot say yet yeah or, um i know there's a lot of that but what does that mean moving forward like even just for you when you get to talk about this like what does that mean what does that look like using this well, data yeah it means that we now we now know we have the first data ever on the effects of nutrition and early addiction recovery outcomes so now we can act with confidence for the first time yeah. and we can say hey look here's what we know to be true to the best of our knowledge and with all the research done to date that as you increase your consumption of plant foods in recovery the higher your dietary quality the greater your resilience over time the greater your self-esteem over time the greater your self-compassion over time if that matters to you and the people that you want to serve you should be considering this as part of your treatment protocol period end of story wow and if you don't want to take this uh data for what it is you're not saying you can no longer say it's not valid you just have to deny that it exists <laughs> <laughs> oh so one of the one of the things i was thinking of as you were talking earlier and just this question i've had in my head for a while so like what does this mean like what does this look yeah. like um one of the things that kind of perked my ears up when we were talking about you know there's a not somebody probably at a lot of these excuse me, these treatment centers that can say, I have the knowledge, I am confident to help with this. Yeah. Does this mean that this work is going to be used to show like, okay, absolutely. you need someone that has absolutely. this knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we design a protocol that works right. and we have it. And, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is to actually develop and open the very first plant, plant-based uh, addiction recovery center. Wow. It will be entirely plant-based. It'll be the first one ever. Um, wow. And so, you know, look, here's the thing. We got 6% of the population right now is either vegan or vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, and, in this country, in the U.S.? In, this, in the U.S. Okay. And, and that percentage of th that, that population of people is not, not immune to the same threat of disconnection that every other human. Like a plant-based diet is not a cure-all. It's right. a phenomenally profound tool for healing and for promoting health and for promoting longevity. Yes, we know that. But it is not a cure-all in a modern environment. It just isn't. And the fact that an individual who is, you know, now we have more people being raised vegetarian and vegan than have ever been raised vegetarian and vegan before, that if those individuals run into issues with substance abuse, they can't find a treatment center to serve them. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Also to say, hey, if you haven't been eating a plant-based diet, here's the benefits to it, not just to your long-term health that we've known from decades and decades of research, but here's the latest research on how it can actually benefit your, your recovery in the short term. Do you, as difficult and as hard as recovery is, would you not want to take this advantage? Right. This, this is what we're looking to do. We're, you know, like I said, we're going to publish four manuscripts this year. Um, uh, the, the general overview manuscript of the study, then we're going to do a whole microbiome study, then we're, we're doing a manuscript on all the qualitative stories. Mm. So we get all the participants and, you know, love qualitative data. Well, I'm, it's so funny because I'm a person who's like, ah, that's an anecdote. You know, anecdotal evidence is, you know, isn't worth anything. Sure. In terms of academia, but at the end of the day, like we're, we're storied creatures. Yeah. Humans are storied creatures and you, no matter how much evidence and data you have, you can never deny an individual their story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I 
believe me, when I was battling addiction for over 10 years, I read every piece of data that could be presented to me by anybody. And none of it was convincing. Yeah. None of it was convincing. Like I didn't care because it didn't speak to, to me and how bad I felt and how desperately I wanted to figure it out and couldn't and didn't know why I couldn't. Yeah. And my goodness, I remember when I was at Rip Esselstyn's retreat in 2010 and he had a, a motivational speaker and it was a guy named Dick Beardsley who was one of the greatest marathoners of all time. And after his career ended, he got, he was on his family farm and he got caught up in machinery and he nearly died. And as a result of that, he got addicted to painkillers. Oh my and God. He talked about, talked about his, his journey of overcoming addiction and, and how far he went and how similar it was to my path. And that dude, that guy's story got me to wake the fuck up for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And I had already been at the retreat for five straight days <laughs> of plant-based diet does this statistical research shows this data does this blah, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. None of it reached me, but that dude in one hour got me to recognize that I have a serious issue and I'm not alone. And that when I am ready to, to talk about it, it's okay to do it and be scared at the same time. Yeah. It's okay to do it and have people not accept you for it. Because unless I'm willing to say I need help, I'm going to die. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was, uh, that story was the beginning of mine. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, so I'm, I'm, we're, I'm excited to publish manuscripts on, on the qualitative stuff. And then we're going to do, they, they're thinking of doing a fourth manuscript on some other, you know, very technical research stuff. We're, we're considering it. Uh, but, uh, I think we're going to, I, I'm always like, Hey, the more, the more the merrier, let's just publish it. Right. All. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really excited to see that. I um, was in sociology and women's studies throughout um, my undergrad and my master's. So I feel like I definitely had the like sociology is always trying to make sure that everyone thinks it's a science. So they love showing off with numbers and women's studies yeah. is always like, yeah, stories. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So it was nice to have both. But there is something, you know, I think back in Minnesota where I am. There was a lot of talk before um, gay marriage was passed in this state mm -hmm. about like what worked and there was, you know, studies and stuff. And it was the increase in people that said that they wanted um, gay marriage to be legalized was after hundreds of people went door to door, knocking on doors and face to face telling stories yeah. or calling on the phone and saying, hey, I'm a part of the community. Let me tell you how this would affect me versus being like one in however many people you know is gay. Yeah. Like that yeah, wasn't it doesn't, working. It, that, <laughs> that doesn't work because you can't, you can't personalize a, a number that big. Like when, yeah. you know, when we talk about animal rights, you know, you hear all these people, you know, all these statistics that, you know, a uh, hundred, you know, a hundred billion animals hundred billion land animals a year are killed for food, right? They're killed in, in the slaughterhouses. And that number is so big that we can't personalize it. You can't yeah. individualize it. You can't conceptualize it. In fact, it's so big. A lot of people don't know that there's over a hundred billion animals killed every year. And there hasn't been a hundred billion humans that have ever lived. Like, like that's how big the number is, but it's, it's when you get someone to witness it themselves that oh i'm face to face with this thing i can see it i, I can yeah. feel it i can hear it yeah you know, just like just like with uh with gay rights if you if you're forced to have a conversation with a with a, a a gay man or woman whose life and ability to to be themselves is being threatened 
and you hear it and you talk to this person, you connect with them, all of a sudden it now becomes part of your story because you can either accept that you wanna support this person or you have to deny them their ability to live the life that you want to live yours. Yep. You know? Yep. Wow. This is so exciting to, I mean, are you just like, sometimes do you look around and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that I've, I've made this happen because it's huge. It's huge. Um, yeah, there, there are times when I'm like, you know, when we say, Hey, I guess it was like uh, about a month ago when I got the email from, um, my lead researcher that it was submitted for publication, uh, into the drug and alcohol, uh, medical journal. And I was just, wow. I'm like, wait, that means we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh my God, we're done. Like we're done, you know, with this part of it, you know, obviously we want to keep going, but as far as this study is concerned, it's, it's done. And I mean, we started, we started in 20, God, I think we started and we started planning it in 2018, which seems like a billion years ago, a billion (laughs) years ago. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I'm, 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 uh, you know, it's hard for me to put it into words because it, it, again, like I say, it's so big that you don't even know really how to even say how you feel about it. And I, I feel like it'll feel really, it'll be a, 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 quite a, um, a, a, an interesting moment when I actually hold the article mm-hmm. or hold the research study, you know, in my hands and be like, here it is. It's in this manuscript. Like, this is it. It's done. Or, like it's published. Yeah. Um, it, it's really going to be, it's going to be something. So yeah, we're, I'm excited. Were there things that or I'm sure you, there are so many things, but were there any takeaways that you were just so blatantly shocked by that you were like, I can't believe it showed this. I'm so excited. Like, were there those things that stick out for you? I'm sure. You know, until or maybe not, maybe not, maybe I'm making this assumptions because you, know, you, ha- you no, knew that this was powerful. I knew it was going to be a benefit, right? Um, what I was worried about was that another study would be done before mine was done. Oh, wow. Right? That, I, that I didn't, that I didn't know about because yeah. it's still, I think that the most surprising thing to me is that mine's, this study is still going to be the first, the first study ever to investigate diet and addiction recovery like why am i making why am i saying these words right now why i mean i'm happy to do it but the fact that it has never been investigated is just mind-blowing to me just shows you where we're at the most one of the most controlled variables in all of recovery is what and when people eat everyone's fed the same thing at the same time it's like right it's like the study is there it's there i mean all you have to do is you know add a few extra you know tests to your protocol and then you got a research study i mean yeah it's wild yeah it's wild do you anticipate that this is the project that is going to be your focus for a while or did this spark new avenues where you're like now i also want to look at this 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 and this uh, I think that this is going to be my, you know, my journey for the next, for the foreseeable future. Um, I, I want to keep taking it. You know, like I said, I'm, my my goal now is I'm I'm working on opening the first plant-based treatment center. That'll be a research treatment center as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, everything that's done there will obviously be uh, publishing data to yeah. support the use of a plant predominant, if not plant exclusive. Yeah, treatment protocols for centers across the country and across the world. Um, the, the it's just so sad the fact that like you know individuals who are suffering 
who eat plant predominant or plant exclusive diets are going to have a hard time. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to come up to a situation where they go, oh yeah, we can make vegan meals. And it's, but you know, it's not really what you're looking for. Like it might be, you know, French fries and a side salad. Exactly. Right. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know? Yeah. Which like, I love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I'm not, (laughs) I'm not building my diet around it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's wild. I think that that, um, that idea of a plant-based or plant predominant treatment center, there's so much potential there. So much. There's, I mean, is that in like, I don't, I don't know the process of starting your own treatment center, but is that like a one-year plan, five-year plan, 20-year plan? Like what is that? It's probably, you know, I'm going to say it's a five-year plan. Uh, Hopefully we do it sooner than that. Um, There's obviously opportunity to do it sooner. It's just whether I want to, I want to partner with a a center that's already open or whether I want to open my own. Okay. So, you know, we'll see. But and do you uh, anticipate that being in Austin? I think so. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So Austin's Austin on or, my bucket Austin list. By. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts here. There's, there's a, it, it, you know, I grew up here and I, I, I don't even recognize it anymore. So, but, you know, I just found out it's the 11, 11th largest city in the U.S. now. Austin is? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, that's, wow. that's nuts. It's a college town. Now, <laughs> the eleventh uh, largest city in the U.S. It's phenomenal. Wow, that's so cool. Well, I'll I'll visit someday. It's on my list. I know. I like when you read like Veg News or those kind of like magazines and follow those accounts. Austin mm. is hustling and bustling for vegan food, man. Oh yeah, very much. It's got great stuff here. So look, and if people want to come and visit, I got no problem with people visiting. We got enough people moving here. But, I'm not uh, trying to move there. I promise. I just want to visit. <laughs> no, there's some great vegan food here. And a lot of the restaurants that aren't vegan have amazing vegan food. That makes a One huge of the things difference. I came to realize when, I, when I lived in Portland for the last like year and a half was, and my fiance actually convinced me of this. She goes, you know, vegan restaurants are great, but some of the best vegan food I've ever found was at restaurants that aren't vegan because in order to get a vegan to come back, the food has to be exceptional. Vegan restaurants can live on the novelty that they're the vegan restaurants. That's true. And so the true. vegans are going to come. But if the vegan food at a non-vegan restaurant isn't phenomenal, vegans are going to be like, nah, I went there. It was okay. And they only have a few things. I'm not going back. And yep. I, was, I actually saw that to, to be true. And I love vegan restaurants. Some of the best restaurants in the world are vegan restaurants. But totally, the vegan options at some of these non-vegan restaurants, oh my God. And what a great thing to go to these restaurants and say, hey, no, 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 I want your vegan menu. They go, oh, man, we should make this menu bigger. Yeah. Everybody's coming asking for the vegan menu, you know? Yeah, that's really so, cool. Well, it's on my it's on my vegan bucket list of cities in the U.S. So yeah. someday, someday I'll make it happen. Yeah, it's great stuff. One of the things you can tell yourself or you can tell that individual is that you're not broken mm. because of this. That's not why you're struggling with substance abuse. It's likely because of something that makes complete sense. It's yeah. more than likely rooted in a pain that you just never really understood. And that's okay. We're not raised with the opportunity to develop the ability to understand pain. In fact, our culture has a profound willingness not to want to understand pain. We want to medicate it and insult it we want to, you know, get rid of it as quickly as possible. And, and if, if we do, that's, that's considered success. Yeah. 
Um, and so if you are dealing with this kind of pain, it's okay. You're feeling it because you're human. And that's what humans do. We feel, we feel very, very deeply. Uh, we have a complexity of emotion that is unique to the species of animals on this planet in the sense that not because we feel them, but because we can express them in ways that are unique to the animals of this planet, that as far as we know. Um, and so because you haven't learned how to properly express, I'm in pain. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I don't know how to figure this out. I don't even know where to start. And it just feels worse every single day. It's okay to say those things. Yeah. And if you don't feel safe enough to say them to someone that you know, there are services that you can call and you can say that. And that's all you need to say. And for individuals who know someone who's struggling, you don't need to know what to say. In fact, more than solutions, people who are struggling with substance abuse just want to know that they have not been forgotten by the people that matter the most to them. Yes. They just want to be reminded that they have value that other people see in them, that they matter. And the way that you can do this is you can just call them. You can call these people and you, you don't have to say anything about their substance abuse or anything. You can just say, hey, I just wanted to let you know I love you. Mm. I just want to let you know that I love you. And if, and if you ever need me, I will come and sit with you. That validation. I don't want you to be alone or feel alone. That's it. Simply that validation that they are human, that they, are, that they mean something to you. They're not a problem to be fixed. They're not a yeah. riddle to be solved. Is so profoundly impactful. It will let them know that they are a part of something in someone else's life. Yeah, connection. And it will, I mean, the, the simple act of, of having someone sit with you and just be with you is incredibly powerful. Uh, you can be a voice that will say I love you to someone who can't say I love themselves. Yeah. You can be the arms that can put, that can hug someone who doesn't know how to soothe their own pain. And you can be shoulders for somebody that can help hold up their world when their world feels incredibly painful to be in. Because that's what addiction is. More so than anything else, addiction is about not wanting to be present in your life because your life in one way or another has become too painful a place to be. Yeah. If you can just simply remind people that they matter, they may say, hey, I, I have something I want to talk to you about. That's, that's all I want to say. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If that's somewhere like Apple Podcasts, leave a review and you could be read on air as the review of the week. Looking for more podcast content, yoga videos, meditations, and all-around amazing community? Head over to patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and check out what's going on. And finally, if you are ready to make changes in your life but don't really know where to begin, let's work together. Head over to consciouslycarly.com and we can start the process and get you happy. Until next time. Thank you.